welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. On this episode, we're joined by Javid Bopat to talk about International Men's Day, promoting the positive image of male role models and how you can get involved and support the cause. We recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you would like to join a future show, you can register for them. We'll put a link in our show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the First Intuition Student Forum and Podcast. My name is Ben Borman. I am live in Norwich. That sounds a bit like an Alan Partridge saying, doesn't it? But I've been teaching up here in Norwich today, and I'm joined this evening by my good friend, colleague, David Malthouse. Good evening, Dave. Um, hi, Ben, up there in Norwich. Um, how's your week been so far? You, so you've been in Norwich. You, you live just outside Cambridge, so you've done a fair bit of travelling this week. I had, I had an early train ride this morning and I've got a train journey back to um, just north of Cambridge on, on the way home this evening. Um, earlier in the week, I was teaching in Cambridge, so I have been in the fine city of Cambridge. And I'm back there tomorrow with another class of students who are um, keenly anticipating another day of applied management accounting with me tomorrow in the Cambridge Centre. How's your week going? You've been at the seaside again this week, haven't I have, you? I've been in Southend teaching exactly the same subject, applied management accounting. So I've just finished day seven of that course. I have one day left to go, which is next week. And then those students will be preparing for exams before Christmas. And it is that time of year, isn't it, when students are, are you know, you can see the pressure starting to build with exams coming up in about three weeks time. Uh, and everyone's thinking about getting those exams done in time for the festive period. So I imagine that your students are really busy at the moment and you know starting to be asking those panicky last minute questions about you know what's going to be in the exam Ben what do you know definitely yeah that those last minute nerves coming in um a clamor to get exam slots as we know exam slots get a bit more precious towards the end of the year with many exam centers having a bit of a shutdown at the end of December so trying to get those slots booked and making sure that we can get as many of the students in the building to sit the exams as possible um, but we've got a subject, as we have most weeks on the, the podcast this evening. So um, I, I presume you are aware, Dave, because we got a memo about it saying this would be a really good topic for the podcast. But as we're recording this, it is today, the 16th of November. And at the end of the week on the 19th of November, it is International Men's Day. What do you know about International Men's Day, Dave? Have you got any prior knowledge or experience with it? Um. What do I know? So I, I was first aware of it and through the work of a comedian that I know, who is um, a, a chap called uh, Richard Herring. And um, he spends all International Women's Day on Twitter raising funds for a, uh, a women's um, shelter by responding to everyone that says, I know it's International Women's Day, but what about International Men's Day? And he, he helpfully responds by saying, oh, it's in November. Why don't we get together and do something about it? And, and I think a lot of the things that, that people, most people there are just complaining because they're, they're kind of quite whingy people. So I, I had to look into it. And um, whereas where you have things like International Women's Day, which we celebrate, I always think there's, um, you know, there's, you know, those days are really important to highlight the inequalities that are still there. Um, and so when I kind of look, in, look into it, it's, well, you know, what inequalities are we fighting against? But it's to me, it's not about that. It's more about kind of health and wellness and the things that we as men are not particularly good at talking about. And you know, we should be talking more about them because they're things that, that that really do impact men. And not so they don't impact other people, but it's something that I think that we kind of quite, we're quite good at hiding those kind of things from, from each other. And um, it, it's they really to, to highlight that. So I may have got it completely wrong. I don't know what your thoughts are, Ben. Um, it, exactly that. It is not a competition. It is not us as, as men saying we need a day because there is a women's day. But it is a really great vehicle to raise some of the subjects that men, I personally think we're pretty rubbish at talking about. I myself included in that. And so when we were thinking about it, we, we decided we would get a guest on. So it feels like an opportune time to introduce our guest for this evening, Javid. Good evening, Javid. Hi, good evening, Ben. Good evening, everyone. I've called you guest, but, but officially you should be called now a friend of the podcast, because when we get a guest back for a, a second stint, 
um, that's a really positive sign. One, that you feel you wanted to come back and talk to me and Dave again on a Wednesday evening, but two, that we've invited you back. So you are now officially a friend of the podcast. For regular listeners, we had a previous episode where Javid came on and, and talked about um, some of his background. Um, I don't quite know how to give you a, a maybe part of what we should be talking about is, is not giving people a, a, a label. But I had a look at your email footer before we came on air tonight, Javid, and it talks about a career advisor, a mental health first aider. Um, is, is there one thing that you would kind of sum yourself up as or is that a really rubbish question? Yes, yeah, no, there isn't one really. I mean, there's a few hats that I assume. So the bit that keeps me above my head is being a finance recruiter and, you know, I need that to to maintain a lot of the other hats that I assume because on the back of the revenues from my recruitment financial recruitment company, I've set up a non-profit, which is there to raise mental health awareness within specifically within the finance sector and then wider places of work. So out of there then comes things like being invited into doing talks uh, for co- within companies and finance teams, conversations like these. So I've had, this is my second International Men's Day speak of thing in two days and then I've got another two sort of uh, company conversations come, uh, later in the week so yes yeah, so it's a different hat so a company that I'm delivering mental health first aid training or delivering a well-being workshop I'll put on well-being events um, providing support to line managers in finance um, so yeah multi-hats sometimes one on top of the other depending on who I'm speaking with but yeah it just makes the week very varied and interesting um so but which is what I want it always wanted um you know and that sense of purpose behind it all fantastic so so it sounds like you've got quite a lot of experience with International Men's Day I suppose then asking the question that me and Dave were just talking about what what do you see as its um need or its ability to do yeah, I think just touching on what Dave mentioned, where International Women's Day is more of a celebration and, and, and trying to bring that sort of equality between men and women and celebrating women as we rightly should. I think International Men's Day, from my understanding and what, what you read about it, and when you look at things like Movember, which is, you know, a month that sort of International Men's Day sits in, and it's really sort of highlighting some of the sort of health sort of uh, challenges that we as men face and mental health and mental health and suicide is you know a big one in terms of raising awareness for but even um you know sort of raising awareness of some of the more physical health symptoms and understanding why you know as, as a population as a gender group that are you know how can we sort of increase our general life expectancy and um, raise more awareness of you know illnesses physical illnesses and mental health which as men, we're not traditionally, you know, because of things I'm sure we're going to talk about, we're not geared up to to be open and talk about them. And as, as a result, you know, you look at suicide rates, you know, being significantly higher with, with men. Um, and then you look at sort of certain sort of physical health diagnosis, you know, more prominent. So I think it's more, I think without it, you, you don't then have a platform like I used to be written, not cynical. So you'd be so many different days. And I was like, these should be awareness that should happen every day of every year. And mental health is no different than men's health. But I think what a day or a month can do is give it an extra platform and an extra spotlight that, you know, you see the people that are doing some great work for November, whether it's growing moustaches or, um, you know, or, or running or anything that they're doing to try and raise uh, raise awareness is is a good thing so I think whether it's men's health or any other day that's dedicated to whatever cause it is I think they're all serve a really good purpose. Brilliant and and I suppose part of that is the power of something like a podcast that we are recording this um, in aid of International Men's Day in November but the people listening to it could be listening to it in December or March or August. I've got visions of someone now laying on a, a sun lounger on a uh, a nice beach beach poolside holiday but we are still talking about it and if it gives us a vehicle it gives us a bit of a frame of reference then all well and good and actually great to have you on and talk about some of the issues so we will put a link in the show notes to the official website for international men's day feel free to go and have a look at it there are links within that to other um external resources but when i had a quick look on there this afternoon very much three 
themes for 2022 International Men's Day. One, making a positive difference to well-being and lives of men and boys. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then promoting positive conversations about masculinity and being a man. And also raising awareness of the additional help support that's out there. So maybe going back to the first one, a positive difference to the well-being of lives of men and boys. What sorts of things are you seeing, Javid, that maybe is making that positive difference? Anything that employers are doing or we as education yeah. providers could be doing? I think it's, I started being a lot more public and sharing my own mental health struggles. It's been about two and a half years since I was, I've been really public and sharing my um, troubles. And it's a, a couple of things that I sort of noticed. First of all, I'm sort of online and predominantly sort of on LinkedIn because that's where most of my audience are. But then having sort of connections and conversations with many others within the space, you know, around sort of men's health and men's mental health in particular. And, um, you know, whilst I wouldn't want to forget anybody, but, you know, for example, there's um, Johnny Jacobs, who's the Amir FD of Starbucks, who's doing some very good work around sort of mental health and mental fitness really within within finance. Um, and then generally other, I guess, what would you call them, sort of, you know, positive role models that have sort of, you know, within our immediate space of sort of finance and our niche of uh, of raising that sort of awareness. So I think seeing that online definitely makes it a lot more sort of encouraging where, you know, if there are sort of role models, whether it's Johnny and others that are raising mental health awareness and something that I'm trying to do is, you know, you know, try and be that voice that it encourages other men to come forward and what it has done. And it may not happen publicly all the time, but I have a lot of interactions offline with men who are willing in the very first call to share things that are, you know, very sort of person and personal to them. And I've never, ever spoken to them before through to people who have got to know me and then trust me enough to share something, um, you know, they're struggling with. So I think you've, you, you are slowly, albeit I say, I say slowly because it's taken a while that, you know, for men to open up and move away from the traditional masculinity and those ideologies that have been sort of with us since father time and generations ago. Um, but slowly we're now moving into a generation that where the, the, those traditional norms are being challenged. And, and, and that's something that I'm interested to see how that evolves over the next decade especially generationally as a new generation comes into the world of work. And, you know, we're talking about a new generation of men coming into work and um, in young adults and how they view everything from the world of work and society and how they view sort of masculinity and those traditional sort of definitions of masculinity going to change because ultimately they're, they're willing to share and be a lot more open on the emotional side. So I think in a roundabout way, sort of answering that, you know, but, both sort of positive role models and conversations, but also there's a journey which we're at the early stage of how we can sort of, you know, bring sort of men's health and men's mental health awareness a lot more forward. But yeah, it's going to happen with this sort of generation shift in particular. Um, exactly. Lots there we can unpick. So maybe let's go back, first of all, to the, the well-being piece. So you mentioned when, when you were doing your, your first introduction about mental well-being, but you also mentioned some physical well-being issues that are maybe more relevant to men. And I think we've got to be a bit careful because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about is actually equally as relevant for ladies and women as well. Mm -hmm. But there are some things that are maybe more relevant from a, a male perspective around this. You mentioned suicide, so I don't know if you wanted to kind of expand, first of all, on some of the maybe mental health issues that are potentially more um, more relevant for a man. Yeah. Yes, I think it, specifically the topic of, of suicide and, you know, there's all the stats and figures that sort of show it that, um, you know, there's a, as part of being a mental health first aid instructor, that we show what a slide and the slide shows the gender differences and, um without going into every single sort of a part of it. But on the one hand, you've got areas where, um, you know, how many women seek sort of uh, professional help and support and therapy and counselling, et cetera, versus then how many men versus women look look at substance misuse and alcohol misuse and suicide. And, and, it, and it's quite apparent that 
men do not come forward often enough and early enough from an intervention point of view. And ultimately what happens is their behaviours manifest themselves in things like substance misuse and alcohol misuse, behavioural problems, if it's more of a, an earlier stage within school, but it can then lead into what can happen within adult life and, you know, not being able to hold down a job, etc. So you've got, on one hand, you know, women are more willing and more prepared to want to come forward, but then, you know, the, the coping mechanisms, I guess, for men is, you know, uh, are very apparent that they're not had a very good ones or they're keeping their emotions bottled up and then it's then resulting in sort of outbursts or behaviours that perhaps may be at odds with what what may be considered the norm. But then the tragic part is then suicide that, unfortunately, that for, for men, they get to a stage where even though there are resources and supports there, that, you know, they, they feel that they there is no way forward, that unfortunately, proportionally, that more men feel like you know, taking their own life as opposed to seeking appropriate professional help because they they don't know how, they don't know where, or they perhaps have had that sort of initial sort of intervention support and they're just not, you know, uh, they're just completely closed off to the idea of, you know, of showing vulnerability and seeking that help. Lots of really interesting stuff jumping through my mind as you're saying that, that kind of um, fear of showing vulnerability. I wonder if I talk personally about my experience. I think back to my granddad, who was a man that could fix absolutely anything. And I think part of that is maybe a generational thing. But do you think part of that has been kind of brought in that that men maybe think I can do this myself? I can fix things myself. Why do I need to go to somebody outside to, to talk about these kind of things? Yeah, I know we touched on the traditional definition of masculinity and it's almost, you know, I was when I'm continuously reading and, you know, when I was reading about masculinity, it's almost like there's this script and some stage directions that men have that where, you know, um, we then have to sort of play to. And I mean, there's something that I will share with, um, with, with Michelle after um, and Shelley after the call, but there was um, something called the Brannan masculinity scale, which was um, researched and developed looking at gender norms in 2015. So I've got it here. And I'll briefly read it and then, but I will share it with others. So things like, um, so they put it in four categories. So you've got um, men should, and then you've got these four categories. You've got the big wheel and the big wheel is, I'm the breadwinner and the provider for the family. Um, my aim is to be admired and respected. Then moving on from there, you've got the sturdy oak, which is then I'm tough, I'm physically strong, I'm capable of handling pain. Um, I'm a male machine, I'm strong, I'm confident, I'm, I'm decisive, I'm a worker. Then, interestingly, this is the one where what, what gets suppressed, so they label it no sissy stuff. So I avoid femininity, I avoid engaging in feminine activities, I conceal my emotions and I never show feelings. And then the final one, it's called give them hell, which is I'm courageous, I'm aggressive, I'm forceful, I'm capable of engaging in violence if necessary. So, you know, it's a very interesting model. Um, as I said, it's called the Brannan Masculinity Scale, if anyone's listening and wants to get, you know, have it to hand immediately. Um, but it's all this about how it shapes masculinity. But even in those descriptions there, there's there's almost no room for sort of the, the emotional side or the vulnerability or empathy or that expressiveness or creativeness to come out and... I think that's where a lot of the problems lie, that if you are, you know, these norms need to be challenged. And if they're not challenged, then ultimately you're going to see issues both from sort of school age and um, going into their adult life of it manifesting itself in a variety of physical and mental health sort of issues. And, you know, their, the impacts they have on family, friends, the society as a whole, you know, um, so, yeah, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting sort of scale and, and you know, the, uh, about gender norms, which, you know, almost typifies where where we're at, but also where, we, you know, there's things work we need to do to start, you know, redefining those surely to get to where we want to be. Um, and even down to, you know, just give an example. So two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was a, my cousin's wedding. So my family, everyone was there. And my son, he's eight years old, he's emotionally sort of, you know, is very expressive and, you know, 
can sort of turn on the waterworks and everything else. Very emotional, sort of, you know, in this definition, doesn't really fit into those, what we've discussed. Um, and I think he tapped something and, you know, he started crying. And there, my mum, and obviously we're talking generation things, you know, oh, you know, boys don't cry, you need to toughen up. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, what are you doing crying? So if that's shaped from, well, my mum and his grandmother, so obviously I'll have had those influences. We've all been shaped by them. Really interesting point. And it's sometimes the careless use of language, isn't it? It maybe doesn't even come from a um, sense of meaning it. But I wrote some things down and things that you've just said. Um, and I am probably to blame for using some of these terms in my life. I try really hard now to be a bit more aware. I haven't got boys. I've actually got girls. But I think it's equally important as a parent to educate girls in the use of language. Things like be strong don't cry as you just mentioned Javid that the, the one that is, is cited a lot is telling people to man up isn't it and I yeah. must say I've probably been guilty over the years of telling my daughters to man up much to my disgust now as I'm saying it Dave you're, you're a parent also let's let's bring you in at this point you've got um boys and a girl yeah. um how do you see your your role as a, a a dad a father to kind of maybe try and challenge some of these norms and stereotypes that maybe we've been brought up with you see uh, interestingly i think i um i i've been more inclined to challenge the words that are used when people have talked to my daughter rather than the words that have used when people have talked to my son so you know when you know that people automatically want to put you know, my daughter into the girly box and you know I, I, I'm, I get really excited or I got really excited when the Wonder Woman film got released because it's like brilliant you've got a positive superhero female role model that I can sit down and watch with my daughter and say look you know women can be strong and fearless as well I haven't had the same kind of thoughts when people talk about talk to my boys and I, I am kind of like sitting here thinking well I wondered what you know, what, what their thoughts of being male actually are, because I haven't probably checked them as I should have done. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that, that you know, I, I, I'm, 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 from one perspective, I look at it, but probably not from the other. Um, it, it's kind of interesting as well, what, where we, we've been talking about how, you know, as males, typically we don't talk about these kind of things. And something that happened to me a while ago, which was kind of, probably getting on for about 18 months or so ago. So it was, it was as we were kind of coming out of a COVID lockdown. Um, a, a friend of mine had been kind of really struggling with their mental health over that period. And we were kind of coming out of, um, out of the kind of lockdown periods and we could meet up and we could see people again. Now, I didn't know that he'd been struggling from him. He'd never told me. I found out because his wife phoned me up and said, Dave, look, yeah, I'm not going to name him, but you know, this guy's you know been really, really struggling, and I'm actually a bit concerned about him. Do you think you could just you know give him a call and kind of get together with him and have a chat? And it's like yeah, absolutely no problem. So you know, I dropped him a note and said, "Well, we're getting out of lockdown. You know, we can go and meet people. Let's go out and have a drink and let, let's have a chat." And you know, I went out with him. You know, had a really, really nice evening. Um, you know, kind of like, you know had had a good chat. Like, you know about you know things that we chatted about went back home and my wife said to me, so said, so, you know, did you talk about how he was feeling? Oh no, not at all. <laughs> we just chatted, you know, and, and I didn't say, how are you? And the natural response was, I'm fine. And there was, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you're fine. You obviously don't want to talk about it. And we got on and looking back, you know, how do I address that conversation in a slightly different way, knowing full well that there is issue. You know, and, it, and it's, it's, you know, bizarre that we're having like almost like a, a counselling session where I'm talking to my wife, he's talking to his wife, and we're getting together, knowing for what we talked to the other person, but not really actually engaging in that conversation that I think we probably should have done. So it's it's you know I find it difficult, and you know I, I like to think I'm quite open to these things. So I, I don't know what your experience has been of those kind of things, Ben. Um, yeah, exactly that. I will quite happily go and chat with mates. But actually having that open conversation, no, I very rarely in my life have I done that with brothers, with mates. Um, and 
something I really love on the telly at the moment. I don't know if anyone else has seen the advert where it's a dad and his daughter and the daughter's got in from school and they're having a conversation that I have the sorts of discussions I have with my daughter all of the time. And I'm sure other people do as well. And on the telly, they actually put subtitles on it to kind of allude to the fact that you are having a conversation beyond just the discussion that you are having to raise awareness of talking and, and mental health and just actually pausing to listen a bit more and not just get the conversation onto um, the, 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 the next topic. So, so Javid, if we can come to you there as, as a mental health first aider, what, what would be your tips if we want to go and have a conversation with someone about their, their mental health? Is it, is it okay to directly ask? Is that the approach we should be doing? Can we skirt around it and hope they open up? Or is there any tips or, or tricks we could be using? I think, um, yeah, there, there's a couple that I would definitely say. I think, first of all, um, the setting and environment, if you are having the conversation is really important now. For example, they have you going on a night out. I think, you know, there's obviously a long period of time there that, you know, you've, you've got the opportunity to try and get the individual to open up. Now, you, I guess, you know, and I know this, when, and I know from personal experience that you try and wade in and too much and too soon and try to be over the top, then you get, you know, that person going to get the backup. He used to get my backup and I'd just sort of close off and I'd be not interested on the one hand, I think you've probably given, you know, your friend a really good outlet, just having an evening and a night where he's been able to let his hair down, probably, you know, if, if he has been sort of struggling or having challenges at home or struggling, um, more often than not, you find that the people who mean the most to you and trying to help you are the closest to you, but they're the ones you listen to least when you are really struggling. And that is basically a standard sort of behaviour across the board. Um I think doing things differently, I'd probably, you don't want to break, I guess it depends whether you want to break the confidentiality of, mm. in the in your instance of the partner who shared it. If she said, no, I'm more than happy for you to share, you know, you could say, look, um, look, it's great to see you, we'll have a really good time regardless, but look, you know, speaking to your partner, she said, look, you know, there's stuff going on in your mind, look, whatever you're comfortable in talking about, you know, only if you want to share, you know, look, what's on your mind, you know, um, and then try and just sort of nurture a conversation rather than, right, we need to talk and sort things out because anything that gets the other person defensive is not what you want to do. So I think just that sort of nurturing piece, I know you can ask, how are you? I think it's the most redundant question out there in, in the history of questions. Um, and it, it, you've really got to go beyond that. So then no, really, how are you? Or how are you really? Or... Um, if it's in a situation where perhaps you've observed things from a work setting or personalised, look, you know, oh, you've missed a couple, of, you used to come to these classes, you've not been for a couple of weeks, or, oh, you know, had a couple of social events that you've recently not seen you, or been a bit quiet or out of sorts. So always look for, a, you know, try and help them understand that this isn't something you're, you're just sort of making up on a whim. But have you observed things, something, seen something that's different to their norm, and you've seen it displayed repeatedly over a period of time so what you have to bear in mind is everyone has an off day everyone can you're allowed to be a bit quiet on a social event or a networking event or you know a works do whatever it might be but but it's just if that gets repeated and it's away from what you expect of the norm of the individual so when, I, when I'm delivering the mental first aid training I'm you know always mindful that don't be too overzealous on these things either so um, so I think just spotting patterns of change in behaviour over a period of time and then explaining why you want to speak to them and and if don't give up at the first attempt because mo most often the first or second attempt they'd almost either deflect it um, you know or not want to talk about it uh, and close you down but your job is look that's fine if you don't want to talk about it now look um, you just so you know you know where I am, you know, there's a, we'll have a chat. What I'll do is, you know, if I've not heard from you, I'll check in and be in touch. So to give a very recent example, I've, I'm really good friends with someone, they've separated uh, and they're going through a really, really tough separation and he's not been in a good place for a while. But I met up this Sunday and I spoke to him. It happened to be that I was going to a social gathering where his ex-wife was going to be there and I was there with him and his son 
it literally sort of two or three hours before. And I think it clearly triggered something. And, you know, for, for about an hour, it just wasn't great. I tried to, you know, mix up the conversation. It just wasn't happening. I could see that it wasn't. So I just left it. And then I text him um, the day after and said, look, clearly I triggered something. Just hope you're all right. You know where I am. You know, I'll, uh, I'll leave this with you. I don't expect to reply. But if I've not heard back in a few days, I'll come back to you. So I said, it's that sort of nurturing and just, you know, is is really important and just some of the subtleties in the conversation while still being direct within there as well. But yeah, coming back to one of your original points, dancing around it in the hope the person shares will will more often than not not encourage them to open up. Um, So you have to explain, you know, if you are worried that, you know, that you're there to help, you're there to want to listen. Brilliant. And and you talked about the setting for it. So so taking someone out, is there any advice on where? And I know there's not one place, but anything yeah. you maybe need to look for as the, the kind of location. Is there a, yeah. a, a good place to go? I mean, if it's a social setting, you, you'd want to make sure that it's not within earshot of other people. So if it's out in the public, then that's going to be really important. So if you're meeting someone socially for a meal, et cetera, You've just got to be really careful because I think if they're looking to share and let's say you are out for a meal, um, even if it's just you two, more often than not, even in this COVID, post-COVID world, the tables aren't a million miles away. So it may be that you go to more of a quieter bar and a quieter setting. Um, from a workplace point of view, again, sort of away from their desk and within you know, a, a private setting, uh, it can be a meeting room. One of the big ones I advocate, and I've done a lot of these in the last sort of 12, 18 months has been, um, let's meet up and go for a walk. So if you're meeting someone, a work colleague or a friend, you just go for a walk in town. Or um, if you happen to be near a park, then you can sort of go walk in the park. Uh, when they don't have the direct eye contact and you're just sort of having a casual stroll, it can encourage people to open up a lot more. So, yeah, I think that there's a couple of ones there that I would definitely, that I know from experience, work really well. And it's something about being outdoors that, that can help bring that conversation along even more than let's say sat with someone in private in a meeting room if you're in work because it's still that work setting so you know somewhere neutral somewhere where they feel safe is uh you know will be key and, and I suppose we can't always engineer it but but do you think there's any mileage in doing it alongside something else so I'm thinking would I take a mate for I don't play golf but I'm more than happy to go for a walk around a golf course or a game of squash or something I absolutely love watching on the telly these days is is White House and Mortimer when they go fishing and just have random chats about stuff but it gives a setting just the kind of feel it's not quite as intimidating as someone sitting in a room with you yeah so it's, it's all around psychological safety so if if an individual and you create that psychological safety you are more inclined or they are more inclined to then want to open up. So similar to what Dave mentioned and some of the ones, the descriptions you've given, those settings are absolutely fine. I think you, again, you know, don't, you'll have to make the first move on trying to get that part of the conversation going and, you know, try, you know, two or three different ways in order to get there. But know that if you're spending a long period of time, if you're on a golf course, you're there for a fair period of time, fishing more often than that is, there for a day at least you know one of my really good friends goes fishing so knowing the time you've got is then you know you can then have a mental plan of sorts of how to get there but yeah just expect that you've got to make that first move but you know if you put them in that setting of psychological safety they are much more inclined to want to do it so yeah definitely I'd um I'd double it up with that it's just yeah just be sure to to make those moves to try and encourage that conversation initially, almost giving it a push start. And then once they start, and then, you know, that's then when, you know, you've really actively engaged in listening and you sort of uh, allow them to talk more than you talk and all those, you know, modes of communication come in, you know, two ears and one mouth using that ratio type is, uh, you know, is definitely applicable when you're having, you know, you're trying to get a, a a man or a young boy, a young adult to open up. Fantastic. And, and I suppose one slight word, of course, would be interested in your thoughts on this one, Javid, about 
taking your mate out for a drink, which is traditionally what blokes have kind of been seen to do, isn't it? We'll go for a, a pint down the pub. And I guess there is still potentially a place for that. But what are some of the potential risks if you're just going to go and, and take your mate for a drink in the pub? Yeah, I guess. I mean, this is someone who doesn't drink anymore, but did, but had a really bad relationship with it towards the end that you, if they are using alcohol as a bad coping mechanism um, or a form of escapism, then you're almost sort of encouraging that sort of, uh, you know, a lot more as well. So I think it's, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't go to the pub. You just have to be mindful that that pint doesn't then become, you know, a, a night out. Now, they talk about safe alcohol limits, et cetera. Um, but what you don't want to do is, okay, yeah, I'll go for a night out. And if that person has been involved in alcohol or substance misuse um, as a way to cope with their sort of, you know, uh, mental health challenges, then you're, you're, you know, you're enabling that a lot more. So, you, you, you know, if you know that there is some issue there and you don't want to exacerbate it, that you sort of encourage that, yeah, sort of go there and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, just have a drink. I think in this sort of era of coffee shop, sort of era, and of course it depends on where you live. It's going to vary from cities to country, et cetera, but some of them are open that bit more later in the evening now. Um, and dare I say some some bars or, you know, uh, they are evolving a lot more. So if you move away from traditional pubs and bars, that uh, it's a bit more neutral and there is a more of a push towards non-alcoholic drinks and et cetera. So, yeah, you just definitely be mindful of not exacerbating or encouraging a certain behaviour that might feed into sort of, uh, you know, their bad coping mechanisms. Dave was nodding along there and, and Dave is someone I've been out for a few drinks with and not actually had an alcoholic drink and it hasn't changed the the dynamic of what we've we've discussed and had a chat about. Dave, I don't know if you've got any thoughts there, but but you are someone I really look up to and respect as someone that can go out for a drink with and not feel obliged to have an alcoholic drink. Well, no, I, I, I barely touched any alcoholic drink for about the last two years or so. I occasionally will have a drink, but very, very rarely. So I think that the last time that, I think the last time I had a drink then was probably when I was with you. Uh, the last time I had, and I had a pint and that was it. But um, I, I made a very conscious decision that I, I didn't want to drink. And a lot of it's because of my my eldest son, his his mum had issues with alcohol and he'd, he'd seen, you know, the 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 the, the with alcohol that he obviously saw a lot of and i i i didn't want i you know, i wanted to show him that it, it is possible to that to, to exist without drinking all the time and without having alcohol and kind of almost role model of, 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 you know that you don't have to have that relationship with alcohol when you socialize and when you see people so i've always been quite conscious that i i, I didn't want to be kind of that parent that was drinking every night or you know they, whenever they went out had too much to drink so I've, I've yeah very very much cut down anything that I've drank over the last two years and before that I I didn't really drink at home um you know it's kind of I, I, I've, I've got, you know I would have a bottle of wine in a cupboard that would sit there for six months and wouldn't get drunk because you know I I I didn't really feel that I wanted it or needed it there and it's yeah I, I think having having seen the issues people can have with alcohol it, it has has made me think twice about whether I want to drink or not which yeah it does have its challenges when you go out with a group of people and they all think oh why are you not drinking you know it's you know you're not fun or you're not driving or you can get a lift you know go on have a drink it's like I don't actually need to have one but it is yeah it, it, it's something that I'd, I'd say it's deliberate from the point of view of I, I didn't having seen the other side of it it's like I, I don't one want to be there myself but I also don't want to show people or, or to role model the fact that you know it's okay to drink far too much all the time because you know it can it, it I've seen the damage that it can do and you use the term role model twice there and something I wanted to talk about this evening the fact that you've made a conscious decision of how you look to other people not just about your own personal relationship with drink. And I don't want to make it just about drink, 
but but Javid, if I can come to you with regards to the, the the concept of having positive male role models in our lives, what sorts of, of things do you think we, we potentially should be looking for or aware of ourselves to be um, portraying our, our best selves as a positive male role model? I think some of it, whilst I know anyone in the public eye um, is clearly going to get that bit more attention whereby they could become sort of, you know, uh, male role models. I also feel that you shouldn't have to look in the public eye for someone sort of famous, whether it's a famous football or actor, wherever it might be, um, that there are people a lot more close to home. And, and it could be potentially a family member or a member of a community or, you know, a group that you're perhaps sort of majorly part of. Um, you know, it could be someone within the profession, you know, um, you know, that you say, for example, for us within accounting and finance, that people that you look up to. So I think it's not, I think the tradition is where, where role models sort of came from and just being in the public eye, it shouldn't be that. I mean, I remember when growing up and, you know, around role models, there weren't, I suffer a lot with self-esteem in particular when I was uh, growing up and as a young adult, and I still have, but one of the things I found with role models was, and the way I was viewing them was wrong because it's almost like, you okay, well I, well, I wish I could be like them, but then all of a sudden there's all these, well, I'm not going to be like them, whether it's sort of uh, size, stature, money, fame, and all these things. And you almost think actually, well, what are you, it's almost asking the question, what do you want from a, from a role model? And, you know, that sort of role model, is it moving away from, yes, having the sort of positive and healthy masculinity elements, but also, you know, someone who is showing their emotional vulnerable side, someone who, for me, can exercise humility, you know, where, uh, I think there's always a couple of uh, memes uh, or posts that go around. I think, is it Keanu Reeves and George Michael? Obviously, one alive, one not. But both who exercise a huge amount of sort of humility of how they go about things. And they do things where they do things in private. And it's, you know, and that element of sort of philanthropy and charity and everything else. But they don't feel the need to, you know, uh, you know, to then sort of, I guess, show off in any way, shape or form. So... I guess the word answer is, you know, what do you want from a role model? And I guess, you know, what does that role model mean to you? But don't be completely defined by them. Just define the quality of the role model, see who inspires you, and then go, actually, what well, I'm going to make within my own life, you know, uh, and take the good qualities of these within my sphere of influence and then um, and, and be the best version of me as possible. And hopefully then on the back of that, you can then be a role model for other people, Um rather than just say no you know this person or said person was a role model so I, I stopped you know there's only one person that I'd famous person that I'd particularly looked up to and it was only because of the amount of how he went from being completely vilified and wanting to be killed by almost all the country to then being a hero David Beckham and I know it's on the one hand a bit of an obvious one but I just feel someone who professionally worked extremely hard um had the fame but actually in fairness, has generally has handled it fairly well and there's not an ego there, you know, down to earth. But then, yeah, from going from being sort of hated and to then sort of adored within the space of 12 months and, you know, but even at different times had a lot thrown at him and I think, you know, could have gone the other way, you know, where uh, both for his own well-being, his family and everything, but actually, you know, in my view, you know, goes about, you know, you know, his status, I guess, in the right way. Um, is he perfect? I'm sure he isn't, you know, um, and that's why you don't want to completely live by role models because ultimately they're only human. And, you know, unfortunately now in this in information era that, you know, even if you say, oh, Winston Churchill or Martin Luther King or whoever's your role model, there's enough information out there where, and keyboard warriors that will show you all the negatives, negatives about them. So people, you know, uh, Almost role models seem to be there to be shot down at every opportunity. But yeah, take the good things from various people and almost what you want out of an individual and how you want to incorporate into your life. I, th I think really good not not placing all your hopes on on one person because it's it's usually only going to end up letting you down or not living up to your your expectations. D Dave, what's your experience of positive role models in in your life? Well, th this is something that we we teach a little bit about, Ben. We, when we talk about 
corporate cultures and we talk uh, I, I know that when I've talked about corporate culture we've used we, we've talked about examples of how within organizations people will mirror the behavior of the figurehead of that business and and the, the crazy statistics about how in the virgin group you are 20 percent more likely to have a goatee beard than working anywhere else because richard branson's got one and you know at apple when steve jobs was there you know you had people wearing roll neck jumpers mirroring the person that's there and, and the thing that we've seen from, we particularly saw that with, with places like Apple, is that Steve Jobs, or he may have been a visionary in terms of products, but he was relatively nasty as a human being in his day-to-day -day dealings with other people. And there was a culture there of that's how you treat people. So if you, looked at, if you look at Steve Jobs funny in a lift, he'll sack you by the time you get to the second floor just because he doesn't like the way that you're approaching him and talking to him. And, and that was seen to be the way that you needed to act in order to get ahead. And so I think that it's absolutely true that, you know, people will people will sometimes pick a role model because they say, oh, I want to be like them. But sometimes it will naturally be I'm looking to that person because that person is my boss. And in order to be where my boss is, which is where I aspire to be, I need to mirror those kind of behaviours, which is where I think we need to be quite careful because I've worked in enough organisations to know that the people that are at the top of the organization are not always particularly nice people and sometimes don't actually you know carry out business the way that it should be carried out so i think that the jam's absolutely right in terms of pick carefully and you know you, you don't need to be a carbon copy of that role model you can take an element of what they do so you know you might look at uh, at someone like david beckham and say i love the humanitarian work that he does you know, and, and the things that he stands for and things that he believes in there are things that I really respect. Now, you know, his dubious choice of whether he should represent the current World Cup and be part of their, their PR, that's something that maybe I'm not going to stand behind him on because, you know, maybe I don't believe that, you know, we should be celebrating a football tournament that's taking place in a, in a, in a country where, you know, human rights are, are, of a great number of people are not respected. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think that, you know, in terms of picking your role models, it, it's... You know, I always think like a pick and mix thing. It's, it's you looking at elements of different people in terms of showing you how you should behave. Um, and one thing I do think is important is that that we, you know, are, are putting ourselves out there um, in a way that we think is positive for other people that are, are looking at you. And it's, you know, I, I tend to think that you you, you should you know, demonstrate the the traits that you expect other people to have. You should treat people the way that you expect to be treated. And if you do that, and people are mirroring and seeing you as a role model, then you know you don't want to be ashamed of the things that they are are, are copying from you, if you like. So, so stop apologising for being so nice, Dave. Is what you're saying, <laughs> basically. Um, and you're right. We can all be role models and, and take things from other people can't we I would say you're a role model for me Dave the way you conduct yourself the way that you are very open and honest the way that you always ask and I really look forward to our Wednesday nights before we come there because it's a chance for me and you to maybe have a bit of a chat and just find out about each other's weeks and what's going on and that's a, a very positive thing as always I've just looked down at the clock and we are now past seven o'clock so we're in we're in overtime territory for the podcast because we're meant to finish at seven o'clock. Um, Javid, I wonder if, if there were any final thoughts from you as a kind of wrap up for today, anything that you wanted to convey to the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I've, there's a post I'm going to put out because um, I saw it, an, an image that sort of really sort of struck me. And um, I guess just one word for men really out there who you know, are struggling and have been struggling or, or do struggle in the future. And it's just a, a single word, just talk. And, and yeah, and, and it's probably just a single word that I'd want to leave because by not doing so can lead to so many sort of uh, problems for you as, an, you know, as the individual, as well as then the people around you. You know, I always look at emotions and that, that you know, if you're struggling every hard time, that if you keep your emotions bottled up, it's, you know, um, you know, I've done this, you know, and I've been really guilty of it. So you, you're creating an emotional pressure cooker inside and that pressure is just sort of building, building, and you're not sharing and everything else. And, you know, that has been a display in certain behaviours. And eventually, though, like a pressure cooker, 
you know, it's the the, the top's going to come off and uh, there's going to be a sense of emotional snapping and that could manifest itself in so many different ways, you know, uh, both if you look at it in a work setting, could be work output performance and outbursts, but then outside of work, you know, in terms of your relationship with your partner and, you know, and everything else. So I think we're just, as men, just really, really bad at just talking. I think, you know, I think that's probably the one thing I'd want to leave is look, you know, the more we talk, the more we can sort of encourage, you know, these conversations. And it's absolutely fine to show that vulnerability. Does that mean every man on masses can start doing it? And that's the tr- tricky. It's not going to happen overnight. However, if there are more advocates, more friends, family, colleagues that, you know, you can look at someone who's struggling and say, look, how are you doing? You know, and just try and nurture that conversation and create that safe environment for them to talk and a setting that it will, as time goes on, it will encourage more people to open up. But yeah, you know, we're at the early start, it starts with a journey of for that to happen. But yeah, just don't keep a bottle inside and talk would be the, uh, the single word I'll leave the uh, listeners with. Fantastic advice, encouraging men to talk but also everybody to ask those questions. It doesn't have to be men talking to men. Um, Anybody can ask anybody else if they're okay. Is there anything you want to talk about? I'm here for you. And I think that's a great sentiment to end on, Javid. Thank you for your time this evening. Thank you for coming. I'm sure we'll we'll tap into your your knowledge of, of other topics in future sessions that we're running. Dave, I don't know if you've got any final thoughts to wrap up the podcast for this evening. Um, I just want to thank thank Javid for um, for being here this evening. It's been an you know, absolute pleasure to have have this discussion with you. Um, thanks, Ben, for the for lovely kind words that you said um, right at the end there. That was that was yeah re- really touching. So um, yeah, th- thank you very much. And it's all very much reciprocated from me. Um, and it just leaves me to say thanks to everyone that's taken the time to download and to listen. Um, if you have got the time and you want to leave a review, then we really really would appreciate it. Um, so if you go to your whatever your podcast app is and just leave a review if we just want to leave a style count that whatever you want to do that would be much much appreciated we will see everyone again next week when we'll have another topic to go to but in the meantime stay safe everyone and yeah just talk if you've got a problem 